Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis 22. And there's a new patching in the house. And I wonder, Calvin, if you can pronounce her name because I cannot. <laughs> okay. Her, what's her full name? Congratulations, you two. Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to be at verse 1 through verse 12. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my, his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? For a burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Our Father in heaven... Lord, you have decided to allow this event to be recorded for all of history to read and think upon. And many have before us, and I I believe many will after us. Lord, this passage is needed. All of your word is profitable and edifying and needed in the life for us as your people, Lord. This is good food for us. And I pray as we think carefully about a portion of this chapter today, Father, there are so many applications in so many lives from this text. It is so multifaceted. It makes my head spin to know how you are at work in this moment in the preaching of your word in the lives of your children. And so, dear God, I pray that your word the seed of the truth of your word would be sown today. 
Father, your people would be a different people because of the Word. As your precious Holy Spirit sows that Word into our hearts. Father, to produce greater and greater Christ-likeness in a fallen people that have been redeemed. What a miracle. So speak to us now, Lord. Guard us from the temptation to be distracted or, or to think on things that might take our hearts, our minds away, Father. Help us to look carefully to the Word. I trust you, Father, with the results of what happens. In Jesus' name, amen. Who do you trust the most in this life? Don't answer that. But think about it to yourself. Who do you trust the most in this life? And I'm, I, and I, this, I'm not going to God real quick right now. We're going to go there, but that's not what I'm necessarily saying. People, person. What person would you say, I trust that person more than any other human being on the planet? I can answer that immediately. It's my wife. I trust her more than anybody. I trust her way, way more than I trust me. And I know that I can act on that trust in her. True trust in a person is seen by action by the person who has the trust in that person. You can tell that there are people who really do trust them when they act on it. You can say it all day long, oh, I trust them, oh, I trust them, oh, I trust them. But really, the proof's in the pudding. You say you trust them, that's, that's good, and words are not bad, and it's a good thing to profess that and say it aloud. But really, the way I'll know, is if, uh, the way I'll know if you trust somebody or not It's in your actions. If you're going to do stuff that shows that you really do trust them. When things get sticky, things get difficult, things get uh, become a trial for you, that you truly do trust in that person. Beloved, this is no different than our relationship with Almighty God. Do you trust Him? I'm going to ask you that a bunch this morning. Do you trust Him? And, And I hope the answer is yes. And that would be what our heart, our mind would say is, yes, I trust him. Really? Do you really? And I'm not trying to breed doubt. Don't miss my motive here. I'm not trying to breed doubt so much as I I want us to, at some times in our life as Christians, grab a mirror and just say, where am I in this walk as a Christian? Our Father... Abraham, in this whole chapter, is a pretty incredible example of God taking a man out of paganism, working in his life in so many ways, with so many promises, so many different trials, and then ultimately coming to this chapter, probably one of, if not the very greatest trial on the life of this man. Now, it's interesting, is it not? Because I say, I said this a couple weeks ago, and I said it today, and I'll say it again, that this is probably, if not the greatest struggle, trial in his life. And yet, you see how quick he moves in obedience throughout this chapter? Remember how much he struggled with Hagar and, and trusting in God at that point? Or to the point where he didn't know that God could protect, or he didn't trust God could protect he and his wife, so tell him that you're my sister and lie, so that way we can cover this up and make it go a little bit faster. 
All these times, or when God said he was going to destroy Sodom, and he goes and gets in God's face, if you will, and pleads with him, please don't do this. And yet here, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac, and kill him. Will do. I am amazed, and I've said this over and I'll say this for the rest of my life, I am amazed that there is nothing mentioned about the emotional state of this man in this, in this event. Now, that has more to do with Dan than the text. I understand that. Just my personality, because I'm looking for, how did this strike the guy? The text doesn't tell us. And so we left off, uh, verse, we finished verse 3, started in verse 4, didn't get through verse 4, so look at verse 4 if you would. On the third day, note that, by the way, notice third day, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Three days of, I would imagine, quiet travel where Abraham knows deep in his heart what they're going to do. And apparently from the text, Isaac does not necessarily have in his mind all that clear that he's the sacrifice. So, and I do not believe in any way, shape, or form from the text that Abraham told the two young men who were with him. So there's two people who know what they're going to do. God (laughs) and Abraham. So who's Abraham going to talk to about all this stuff? I have no doubt he is in deep prayer with the Father these three days, perhaps questioning, building up his faith. I would imagine thinking carefully about all that God had done up to this point for three full days, moving towards when God will tell him. Isn't it interesting how many times we've seen this, twice so far, where God says, go and I'll tell you where. I want you to leave your family and go to a land. I'll I'll tell you where the land is. And then here he's like, I want you to take your son, go sacrifice your son, and I'll tell you where you're going to sacrifice your son. But I want you to trust me, Abraham. I'll tell you when, I'll tell you where. We'll figure that out. I'll tell you that. But for now, you trust me. You're on a need-to-know basis. You don't need to know, so get going. And Abraham, knowing the character of God, knowing the wisdom of God, knowing the power of God, says, yes, sir. Rises early in the morning, cuts the wood, saddles the donkey, gets the two young men, gets his son, and he says, let's go. Now, I don't know exactly what he told them. Did he say, we're going to go and we're going to take some time of worship and I want the three of you to come along? How did that come out? I, I don't know necessarily. Somehow God made it known, if you notice in verse 4, it says, let me find my my place. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. How do you know it was the place? God made it apparent to him, apparently. This is the place. 
Abraham leaves the two young men behind. Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and sacrifice, right? That's what your Bible says. And I will worship and come again to you. And I, I realize at first reading, you can read that and go, oh, he said I'm going to go worship because he doesn't want the two young men to know what he's going to do because they might try to stop him. Well, possibly, that's plausible. Because you ask the question, why didn't he say, I'm going to go up there and sacrifice my son? You guys stay back here with the donkey. Imagine the questions, the issues, what's going on in their heart. These two men don't have the faith Abraham has. And so what he tells them is the son... The boy and I are going to go up to this place, and we're going to go and worship. Now, I think it would be a shallow reading of the text if we simply said, he said that for the purpose of just keeping the two young men at ease when he goes and does this. I think that would be a shallow reading of the text. I think to some level, beloved, I really believe in Abraham's heart, he really is going up to that mountain for the purpose of worship. Abraham is not lying to these men. This was truly an act of worship, this word worship, this concept of bowing down before God. I realize that we use all kinds of things, you know, sometimes Dennis and I joke about it because we had a great time of worship and then Dan gave his sermon, right? As if worship immediately stops when the preaching starts. Crazy, crazy, biblically speaking. Worship is not singing necessarily. Worship is not preaching necessarily. Worship is what takes place in the heart of man before God. What I love about true biblical worship is nobody sees it. They may see an act of worship, but they don't see worship. The only one who sees the worship in your heart is the living God. And so here Abraham says, we're going to go up and worship. How are you going to worship God? I'm going to do what he commanded me to do. I'm going to surrender my will to his will and walk in obedience. What's that look like? He wants my son. Beloved, there are times where worship is profoundly painful and difficult. I realize in our culture, those two usually don't go together, that worship and difficulty happen. But the fact is, there are times in our lives where we are called to surrender before the Lord on something. And it may be something that we cherish, something that we love, some precious sin, some special relationship, some sort of gift or something in our lives, and God says, I want that. And it tugs so hard at the flesh, so hard at the want But in worship, we bow down. We lay it in front of him. And so, no, I think Abraham knew very well what he was saying here to the two young men. We're going to go up there. My son and I are going to go. We're going to leave you two here, and we're going to go up there, and we're going to worship the Lord. I want to bow down before the living God in all that he commands of me, even if it means to give my son. Then Abraham said to his young men, reiterating, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I have every reason to believe he wasn't saying he would come again. He was saying they would come again. The boy and I are coming back. 
How do I say that? Well, or why do I say that? Why am I confident in saying that? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I would imagine some of you scholars were expecting me to go there last week. I didn't because I wanted to get a little closer to the actual attempt of taking the life of Isaac to show this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. What is going on in the heart of this man? Verse 17 of chapter 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Please notice here, guys, two things going on. The promises regarding the son and the command to give up the son. I'll come back to that. The promises was in the act of of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, so here's what's going on in the life and in the mind of this man for those three days. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back by faith. Now, I'll I'll stop right there. So what's going on in the mind and heart of this man for three days? We're told in the New Testament, the inspired interpreters of the Old Testament, that this, in this moment, Abraham thought, okay, I've got two things going on. I've got all of the promises of God concerning this boy. I have been hearing that for so many years of what God was going to be doing as he's been progressively revealing more and more about this kid. Now I've got him, he's in his teenage years, and God tells me to go take his life. I don't, I don't think that God's going to cancel the promises he's made. I believe in those promises. The Lord is going to bless all the families of the earth by my seed, and specifically by this special child. And now he says to come and give him up. Okay, I know that my giving up of this son and his life being taken will never cancel the promises of God. I know God well enough to trust his word. So we're actually told, you guys, in the Bible, what was in the mind of this man as he put together, here's the promise of God and here's the command of God. And they seem utterly contradictory right now. So where does he land theologically? He lands on the power of God. He'll raise him back from the dead. That's all I can think. That's all I can figure. If you were to sit down and you didn't think he was crazy, and you had a cup of coffee with Abraham, and you said, "Abraham, explain to me what's going on right now in your life." In reference to what God commanded you, as well as the promises He's given to you in reference to this boy, how are you putting this together theologically? Apparently, Abraham's answer was, "I know His promise. I know His command." And I know his power, so all I can figure is I am going to give him and sacrifice him before God, and God will give him back to me by resurrection. That sounds crazy unless you truly do trust in the promises of God, in the commands of God, and in the power of God, which this man apparently does, as we're going to see here in a bit. Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. 
Another translation of that word wood could be tree. And I'm just going to point out really quick the fact that Isaac is carrying the tree probably on his back up the hill. Doesn't that sound familiar? We'll get to that. Abraham is not lying in reference to worship. No, he is walking in worship. But something is very much missing. Isaac is not asking to be facetious here in this passage where he says, we have the fire, we've got the wood, you got the knife. And this isn't new to Isaac. Isaac had probably most likely seen a sacrifice done. And remember, we've seen numerous times where Abraham has built an an altar and offered a sacrifice before God. And so now here we are where Isaac says, well, Dad, I I know the ingredients needed for this. You have to have the wood. You got to have the fire. You got to have the knife. The throat is slit. The blood is let out. And then you burn him up and burn all, all that sacrifice before the living God. But where is the lamb? Isaac is not mocking him. He's not being facetious here. I don't think in any way this was a sincere inquiry. Dad, something's missing. Now, I don't know about you. The white spaces tear at me a bit because I wonder, did Isaac ever come to the place where he thought, I wonder if Dad's going to, if I'm going to be given. That seems so off the charts to me because he knew that the pagans would offer their children before the pagan gods and that was a horrific act. But I'm very, very curious as to what Isaac was thinking this whole time and yet Isaac consistently walked and went forward without opening his mouth trying to protest what was happening. Again, we'll get to that. Abraham's response here, beloved, is so flooded with biblical themes and reality of what what this is pointing towards. It is so hard on a preacher to hold this for two more weeks. But I'm going to. As I said, I want to do a specific sermon on the the, uh, Christological uh, typology in this chapter and just spend a week or seven on that, okay? So, back to the text. Verse 7, and Isaac said to him, to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire, the wood, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Man, if I have ever had a curiosity flood my heart in study, it's right here. What is he talking about? Now, ultimately, okay, I I don't want to ruin this for you all, but ultimately he's pointing to Jesus, okay? But in this moment, in Abraham's mind, what is Abraham speaking about? Did he believe that perhaps the Lord will resurrect his son and then another sacrifice will be given? I don't know. It doesn't say. But that concept, if there was ever a biblical theme, God will provide the sacrifice in your stead. That's your Bible. In a very real way. I realize there's a whole lot of details and other bits and pieces 
Uh, it's hard when a preacher says the Bible is Christocentric, and then you sit down and you read Numbers, or you go back and read Leviticus, and you go, you told me Jesus is on every page. I can't find him here. Well, the concept, what is meant is that the, the, the Bible in its totality is pointing towards Jesus Christ. It's all in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not Dan saying that. That's Jesus himself in Luke 24 saying that. But that concept, you guys, of God will provide for himself the sacrifice. I believe Abraham believed that with all of his heart and acted upon it. Abraham walked in faith. Abraham recognized his great dependency. Man will never please God with their sacrifice. They are always in need to look for the sacrifice that God would provide for himself. Now, what I just said, I realize, is a mouthful and is massive theologically. But let me say it one more time. You will never please God in your sacrifices if it's apart from the sacrifice of his son. God is not pleased with anyone apart from the perfection of Jesus Christ. God has provided that which would satisfy him. God did it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. It's not about you getting yourself clean so that way God lets you in, so he'll make you more clean. Catching you with me? Okay. Jesus makes you clean, period. Now, I'm not speaking about our life as believers growing in godliness. That's another sermon. I'm talking about your justification. The reason you are justified before God is because God has given a sacrifice in your stead. If I asked you right now, point blank, nobody else is around, just you and I, and I said, you died today, stand before God, and God says, why should I let you in? I just want you to stop for a second in the middle of this sermon and just answer that for yourself. What are you going to say? Would you, would you go to works, good works, bad works? Would you go to something you did when you were five? Would you go to something you did when you were 95? Would you go to something you did? My hope and my prayer, beloved, is that your immediate rush to is the cross of Jesus Christ. God has provided a sacrifice, and that is the only sacrifice that God will receive. So my heart gets so tugged when I hear that sound, so let me just pray for the first responders real quick. Father, I ask that you would be with these folks who are on a Sunday morning, rushing to go help and serve somebody in need. I pray, Father, you would give them wisdom and the skill needed to rush to that rescue and be effective in the crisis that they're, they're seeking to help with, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for a, a town, a city, a, a country, a culture, Lord, where we have people waiting to respond when we're in trouble. What a, what a grace in our country. In Jesus' name, amen. Where was I? So this, this concept of Abraham and his faith and his statement, God will provide for himself. Beloved, the reason I'm pausing there is I, 
One of the greatest fears for myself and for our, our elders and for the believers in this place is that if you're banking on something that you've done to please God, you will go to hell when you die. That's not me being just strong arm or whatever, um, fire brimstone preacher. I'm saying when you die, you'll go to hell if you're banking on something besides the perfection of Jesus. God will only accept the perfection of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else added to him, and nothing else can take his spot. The Lord has provided the sacrifice. He's done it and given us his son. I'll share more in reference to that in the coming weeks. So here's the man, and the preparations are made. If you look down at verse 9, It says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And in that moment, he's already done it. Emotionally, mentally, it's done. That very last second, you know, the, sometimes we joke about the possibility of Isaac took the knife, or Abraham took the knife, and he's like, I'm going to do it. Okay. Now, I'm doing it now. Now, one, I'm going to count to three. One, <laughs> you know, none of that. We're told from the, the authority of the word of God, in his mind and heart, as good as done. God, I'm not going to hold anything from you. You gave him to me. You have full right on him. You own him. Yeah, he's precious to me. Most precious thing I've ever had. But I don't get him. You get him. I'm yours. He's yours. It's all yours. So, Father, here, I give. Take him. Right in that moment, stop. Abraham, Abraham. It gives you a little flavor of the intensity of the moment. We do that too. Um, when, When there's a moment where we're kind of more intense or something, we're trying to get someone's attention, we'll say their name. You know, we'll say, Tim, Tim, or Dan, Dan. Hey, stop, stop. I'm over here, over here. We'll repeat ourselves because we're we're jumpy. Not that the angel of the Lord was jumpy. But to grab the attention of that man in the fire of the moment and say, Abraham, Abraham, don't you dare touch him. Probably the sweetest thing this man has ever heard in his life to be interrupted in the midst of taking the life of this kid. Abraham reached out, verse 10, his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know. Now remember, this is the omniscient one saying this. So obviously he already knew. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God knows the heart of men. Abraham didn't teach God that day. I don't believe that for a second. Now I know that you fear God. Did he fear God before? Yeah, he was already accredited as righteous in chapter 15. He already has faith. But he's growing in his faith. This is a maturing faith. 
seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And in that moment, Abraham, in a sense, was a different man. Beloved, you don't go through this kind of stuff with God and not be and remain the same person after you've gone through it. Okay, I've been here, I've been here ten and a half years living life with you, pastoring in this church, being involved in your lives and you very much involved in ours. And the fact is, I have watched you, some of you who I've known since day one, you are not the same people I met that day. You may have the same jokes, Dennis. <clears throat> but but I've watched you suffer. I've watched you enjoy. I've watched you go through those things. You are, you're not the same people. There's no way that Abraham is the same man after this, after he saw what happened in his life, after God called him, after he acted on the promise of God and the command of God, hoping in the power of God. And then God stopped him. He has every reason to trust the Lord before this, but now it doubles. Abraham acted in true faith. Turn with me to James chapter 2, and I I need to wrap this up really quick. James chapter 2. Hang on. James chapter 2, verse 21 is where I'm going. I'm going right back to Genesis in just a sec. James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, really quick here, i got to say this. Not justified by works. The whole point of the context is that true faith acts. True faith works. Genuine faith. Abraham showed his faith. How did he show his faith? How do you show faith? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. This concept of Abraham acting in faith, walking in faith, maturing in faith, we see his actions showing what's happening in his heart. And after the test is done, the angel stops him. Don't lay a hand on the boy. This event, and this is where I've been meditating a bunch in this study, so let me kind of wrap up and come to the Lord's table. This event was not done because God desired to take Isaac. Track with me. This event was not done. This command was not done for God to take Isaac. No, this event happened because God wanted all of Abraham. Abraham fully trusted God's word of promise concerning Isaac and fully trusted in God's power to even raise him from the dead. This man is a man who knows who God is. How do we know? Because he didn't withhold his only son and took him before God and in his heart of hearts did sacrifice him before the Lord. Completely offered him before the living God. 
God wasn't going to take Isaac that day. No, rather, God's taking more of Abraham that day. God is, God is taking more and more of this man. Beloved, that is no different for you and for me. Now, I realize he hasn't called us to sacrifice our kids. But nonetheless, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26, and Luke 14, verses 25 to 33, some of those powerhouse passages where Jesus says, if you are my disciple, this is what it's going to look like for you. And let me just let me read one of them. It would be a shame if I, if I just left it. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now, I want you to think about this with me. When was the last time someone said this to you? Okay? Someone expressed discipleship of Jesus to you in this way. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Please notice, not may not. He can't. It's about ability. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first Uh, deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Did you read chapter 22 this morning with me and think, That is so hard for Abraham. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not Abraham. That must have been a struggle for Abraham. But life's different for me. All I ask, did you hear the word? Did you just read the text I just read with you? Jesus Christ says, if you do not renounce all that you have, You cannot be my disciple. I am not the applier of the word of God on you. That's what the Spirit of God does. I don't know how that lands on you this morning, beloved. So all I ask, did you hear the word? Did you hear what Jesus Christ has said? If you say you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, passages like that, cannot just simply be ignored as if they're not there. They are there. And the Son of the living God has made it abundantly clear. So is it possible that God in His grace might put something in your life and my life to get more of us? Faithfully and continually. I believe that with all my heart. Let me pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. I I ask.